Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. Hey Villagers, this is a special episode of the podcast that was recorded live on June 14th, 2018, the Village Global HQ. We host an event in partnership with Zoogler, a group of Google alumni and current Googlers who have come together to help each other advance their ambitions in the startup ecosystem. The audience heard a conversation between Eric, our co-founder, and two other founders who have gone through Village Global's Network Catalyst program. You'll hear Kieran Balubi of Keo and Joe Varshney of Barrison Life share stories about their experience in NC. Well, thank everyone for coming to our event, and thank you for Eric and Village Global for hosting us and hosting this nice session, really sharing their feedback, and hopefully you guys can learn more about Village Global and the Network Catalyst program. Let's kind of get started. We can start with a quick round of introductions, if that's okay with everyone. Uh, we have Eric, Kieran, and Joe, two of the portfolio companies here. I actually met Eric in during his on-deck days. He's uh, employee number one at Product Hunt, and then hosted a community similar to our Zuber community called OnDeck for YC founders. That's the one that I went to. Yeah, and just a great community builder, great people person, great mentor to all people. So yeah, I'll turn it over to you. Eric, and thank you, Sheila, for your help in organizing this event. Yeah, thank you guys so much for, for having us. I'm super inspired. The Xugler, Xugler? <laughs> Xugler community. And yeah, real recognize real. Um, so you guys are doing something awesome. So cool. So we're excited to talk a little bit about Village uh, and the Network Catalyst program. I'll start with sort of you know a bit of background on myself, on the firm. And you know we're going to give more of the... Uh, the, the, the pitch, so to speak, and these guys will say more of the real, what happens day to day. Just kidding. So the highest level, just quick first background on myself, as, as they mentioned, entrepreneur and investor, helped start a few companies. I was founding team at a product company called Product Hunt, uh, which is a discovery platform for startups, and it sold to Angelist, which is a discovery platform for, for investors. I then started this community called OnDeck, which is for people who are looking to start or join their next company. And that's in six different cities in the world. And during, before Village, I had Angel and Scout invested in, in about 40 companies. And then I, the rest of my team, I came together with Ben Casanoka, who was the chief of staff to Reed uh, Hoffman and wrote a few books, The Alliance and Startup Review, with Reed, also an entrepreneur and investor. And then later teamed up with Ann Dwayne, who was formerly the COO at Chegg, among many other operator experiences. And then Ross Fabini, who is a longtime entrepreneur and investor as well. And we decided to start Village Global, which is really trying to think about how the future venture capital will be driven by networks. And we tried to build a firm that had network at every level of its DNA. And the two places we, we saw to really, really innovate were both on our LP base and both on how we make investments and how we support and uh, source and diligence companies. So on the LP base, you know, a lot of venture funds and LPs are, are of course, are, are people that invest in venture funds. Our LP base is, this is our first time doing the, the presentation, connected capital. <laughs> LP base, most venture firms have sort of bigger institutions as LPs, whether it's pension funds or hospitals or, you know, big sort of university endowments. And it, it's pretty cool because when they make money, they make money for the Red Cross or they make money for Stanford or out of, out of sort of organizations that, that are good to, <laughs> good to give money to. But we thought, how can we build an LP base that is 
will really add value to our entrepreneurs. And so we spent a long time, uh, almost a couple of years, and we tried to and, and succeeded in getting some of the best CEOs in the world or some of the biggest companies to, to not just lend their capital and their, their brand publicly endorsing the, the fund, but also their time. And so they spend one to two events a year with select entrepreneurs, like network leaders, and really trying to add value to our company. So that, that's one way we, we tried to innovate in terms of network at level every level of our DNA. The other way we tried to innovate is from how we invest. So instead of, you know, right now, most of traditional venture is five GPs, Sand Hill Road, you know, masters of the universe. We decided how can we leverage a sort of a network and a decentralized group of angels of founders, operators to help us both source diligence and support companies. Some examples of some of our network leaders, Aston Motes is the first employee at Dropbox, VP right now at an awesome music startup. Adam Grant, author and professor at Wharton. Aaron Teague runs VR at, at YouTube. Many others, sort of combination of domain experts, people in key geos that we think of great, great deal flow, and then also people in key companies that uh, we think will have great diaspora like Google. <laughs> so with that, we have created this program called Network Catalyst, which is really trying to sort of reimagine the, the accelerator experience. Many people here are familiar with, with accelerators. And so what we do right now is we're working with about 15 to 20 companies a year. We have about 10 that we did in the last year. Kieran was our first with Keo and Joe was our second with, with Verisim. And we said, how can we create a totally personalized and customizable experience? So in practice, that means a few things. So one is there's no, there's no demo day. There's no, we have group peer to peer activities, but there's no like, you know, formula or factory batch like system. Although those are, those can be great. And I went through four of them. So I have lots of great things to say about it, but we want to do something a little bit different. We have a lot of repeat entrepreneurs, people who've been through the program and say, Hey, I less need, you know, one to many classroom structure. I more need key connections. I want to leverage networks. I want to help, you know, raise money from the best investors. I want help getting customers. I want help hiring through the on deck community, for example. So we work, we pick about one company a month because when we go to another firm, we don't want to say, Hey, here's 300, you know, a few hundred companies. We want to say, Hey, here's one company we're really excited about. And we're sort of manually doing that fundraising process with, with and for them. For, for some companies, we've, we've taken some of our equity and given it to advisors who are specific domain experts for that company. Joe and uh, Jared is, a, is an example you could talk about in a bit. And we really tried to emphasize sort of connections over content, personalized over programmatic. And, and it's not a set. We don't think that every company needs to raise money after three months. You know, some want to raise after nine months. Some want to really focus on getting product market fit first. Some want to raise right away. People go at their own pace and we want to, you know, create a program that, that works with that. So with that in mind, that's sort of the high level on Village Global and the Network Catalyst program to, uh, pass it off to Kieran and he could talk a little bit about himself and his experience with Keo as part of the program. Cool. Hi guys. Uh, my name's Kieran. I founded Keo 13 months ago, went through the Network Catalyst program. They were the first check uh, in, you know, when I started raising money. This is my second startup. The first one was in the music business, a company called Applause uh, that got acquired in 2016 by Live Nation. That's just a, an intro and happy to answer questions. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to talk a little bit about my yeah. experience? Yeah, how did... Uh, village, how did Ross help you? How, okay. did, how did we help you? So Ross? I'd raised, I'd raised money before in the valley. I raised 15 and a half million for my last company. 
for applause. So I'd sort of done the sandhill, uh, you know, jog up and down and uh, had an exit as well. So I was uh, fairly confident of have, being able to raise money, set up a team. But then I started talking with Eric, Anne and Ross very early on. So there were two, three things that stood out in this experience for me. I was uh, thinking about maybe applying at YC. A bunch of YC partners invested as well as part of uh, when, when we didn't go there and, uh, you know, ended up doing, uh, ended up doing village. But the thing uh, for me, the two things that were important after having run a company before for eight and a half years and then getting another chance, you know, uh, to do it again. The most important thing initially for me was to understand the margins that the business was potentially going to generate. So when I first interacted with Ross and Anne and Eric, we never really talked about funding because there was no funding to do. There was only, we were trying to figure out if the business had software-like margins that were repeatable in different geographies and really honing in on the idea and how it would sort of expand. So I was the only founder in the company. I had a core team of three, four people that were sort of programming with me. But initially, it was all about sort of working with the team here at a at a macro level, you know, higher level, just trying to understand the strategy first of the business. So that helped a lot, like in terms of actually before you do anything else external to be able to understand the 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 nitty gritty of the business and where it would go. That was super helpful. That was number one. And you might have that in your own networks and stuff. And I definitely did, but this created a structure for the conversations. You know, it was something that we were going to discuss and that was work that we had to do as a team. The second was just raising money, of course. So raising money for me is always like a, it's a process. Like, you know, I've raised some before and this company will probably end up raising a lot more than the last time. But it involves like real work that can be quantified and somebody's got to do it. Typically, it's the founder. And it's a thankless job and it takes all your time and effort for a period of three to six months. So if you can figure out a process around it, just like everything else in a startup, when you have help, it's just better, you know, when you work together, it's better. So for me, the fundraise aspect was definitely part of it. And after, you know, we can, I can answer questions about the specifics of how that worked. And you raised, yeah. I mean, you raised from a bunch of different people, but the biggest check was from Obvious. Yeah, which is, Obvious uh, Ventures led our seed round. We ended up raising five and a half million dollars in the seed for uh, round, the first capital into the company, which is fairly sizable. And then we've topped off uh, another million and a half in venture debt, which we use it if we don't, if we need it. Right. So that was a total fundraise of seven uh, in the seed. They are, Ed Williams is one of our LPs. Yes. Um, so that's, uh, you know, a lot of our LPs have later stage funds that we hope to help on the fundraising side. You know, a lot of people, when they think about should it, whether it's Village Network Catalyst or any accelerator, they say, hey, that's a lot of equity, you know, 127%. And I think what sometimes people don't realize is if you raise, you know, a million dollars at four cap or five cap, that you're giving up 20% of your company. And sometimes if you could do that 127% and then raise, you know, two on 20, you could, it could be, you know, financially sound from a dilution perspective. You actually might save a lot of that. Oh, absolutely. And we we had that happen to us where we started raising in in sort of not opportunistically, but in a very focused manner, but pitching to certain types of funds. And when the yeses started to come in, the valuation started to grow, you know, and that that entire process definitely took like two, three months. And what's, a, what's another example of the Village Network? Man, I feel like I'm selling myself, but you know, <laughs> it's all informational. Yeah. The Village Network, the Village Network helping, whether it's 
not to lead you, of course, but whether it's meeting with Reed or whether it's, you know, trying to get an intro to a key company, what's an example of how the village network? So helps? see, two, three things uh, when, when you're raising a round and so the, the two steps that are critical are step one, which is, is it a, is it a venture? Is, can it be a venture backed company? Right. Can it, can it be that big? Yeah. Uh, that's step one. And if step one is a yes, and if those, you know, the, 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 the business can sort of be repeatable at high margins, software margins and scale, then the next step is sort of how do you raise? So with Village, the thing that helped me a lot was, I never had to go in there and just start selling myself day one, right? With a VC. And, and the, the step up to the pitch is as important as the pitch itself. So when you're going in for a raise and you're pitching to a partnership, when the introductions come from the village network, right? It, it creates a sense of urgency. And that's the one thing that closes deals is a sense of urgency. If you don't have that in your fundraise, you're not going to close a big fundraise, right? Right now, like half a million to a million is fine. But more than that, if you don't have real momentum, you're not going to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. And one person cannot create momentum, right? Because it's the valley, you need a lot of people to talk and a lot of people to say the right things at the right time. And that you cannot be the only one saying the things about yourself. That (laughs) comes across as really odd. You can't go into a fundraise saying we are great constantly. Like that doesn't work. So you you need a team prepping you and getting you up there so that the right people are interested in listening to what you have to say. So I thought that was super helpful for us. And then, um, you know, just having the village brand opened a lot of doors for us in uh, the landlord community in Brooklyn, in Manhattan, as well as in the Bay Area now. I mean, th- those faces... People do know them. They don't know who Sequoia is. Right. The LPs. The, the LPs. But yeah. when people look at, if you send people an email, say a, a sales conversation is not going anywhere and you want to sort of, you know, drift the conversation in areas that might interest people, when you send them the Village Global link, it, it helps. Yeah. It helps. And yeah, we really think a lot about, you know, optimizing the fundraising process from, and I, and I think I really appreciate what you said that it's a process. Most people don't treat it like a process. They're like, who do I know who has money? Let me just go to them and, yeah. and see what's up. But we really, you know, help them think about it like a funnel. We help them curate, you know, who are the right investors they should speak with relative to their stage in their company. Who are the best introductions to get the, to those investors? We make the, those introductions and then the back channeling, the, the setting up the, yeah. the pitch and then the back channeling. After the pitch, the back channel. So typically, just the last company I did raise money, fifteen and a half million dollars. So I know what happens back channeling after, right? Let's say no, there wasn't village, which I did in my last company. You exit the meeting, everyone tells you how wonderful you are, and you know, then that's it. And then they never respond. And then you, 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 you like, what's happening here? Right? Because a no, you are never going to hear a no from a VC. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> Right. It happens once every like hundred times and you remember the person who said no. Right. You, you act because everybody else is a, they just ignore you. Right. Yeah. That's part, part of being a VC. You cannot say no. You can say no in a hundred different ways, but not the word no. We cannot do this deal. So uh, the back channeling is critical because when you pitch and that week you have six meetings lined up or four, you know, before you go out and waste your bullets on all the others, 
that are going to come later, you have to really hone in on what the message is for the fundraise. What is it that you're selling, really, in the venture capital world? So that back-channeling was super critical for us in two ways. One, of course, you get a year into whether they're going to invest or not and what they like or what their concerns are, and that's super helpful. But most importantly, it's the initial 10, 15 pitches, right? If you can get a back-channel conversation going with through some of the village partners, they're actually telling you where your weak points are in the pitch so you can improve. Otherwise, you go through 30, 40, 50 pitches without ever learning much. You know, you know it's not working and you get frustrated. But other than that, there's no, there's no specific learning. Right. Before we pass it to Joe, one, one thing that was fantastic here I want to add is that we've also just recently given every Network Catalyst founder the ability to refer another company into Network Catalyst. And it's really community-focused. We really peer-to-peer. You can see sort of we all really are, are dedicated for the long, long term. And, and one thing I should mention there is 75% of our, our capital is for follow-on investing. So it's not, hey, three months or six months, nine months, and then have a nice life. We're really committed for, for the long term and want to be uh, you know one of the biggest players at the table. So, Kim, that's fantastic. Thank you. Joe, uh, would you like to introduce yourself, Verisim, how you uh, were thinking about you know fundraising before Village, how we got in, you know your journey through Village, and what that was like. Well, sure. Thanks, Kieran. This is very exciting, uh, and I'm very happy to be here and discuss my experiences with Village. One of the best parts of our Village Global is the diversification. I'm sitting here, and I feel like I just learned about you in a very new light, even though we know about each other companies, and the journeys are so different, because I come from a very biotech healthcare perspective, which where everything is slow. Like, you can't even imagine how slow things can be, but there is really no... Like, once you're in, you're in. If that's, that's the kind of business healthcare or, you know, pharma companies really, like, they take forever, like, you know, you're, as if you're asking $20 million, they do their diligence for, like, months, and then they're realizing, okay, yes, and that yes is, like, we're going to be with you for 10 years. And that is a bit different than, you know, most of the software margins for other tech companies that perhaps most of you, which is what I'm assuming that come from a very technical background and less of the pharma or healthcare background. So a little bit about me first. I, I'm a veterinarian. I was an small animal practitioner before I got really bored. I thought the... I was very fascinated by diseases. I don't know how many people here <laughs> feel that way, but viruses was one of the very interesting particles, and I can go hours and hours about what viruses are and can do and how they mutate, and evolution is real for if you just know what viruses. But I felt like my technical skills, so like I learned coding because I, I come from that age group where computers were new, and C programming was one of the most new language then that I learned uh, like when I was eight years old didn't realize that medical training has nothing to do with how technical you can be because it's all react and not think. And for that, I pursued my PhD more in the translational medicine or in, med- uh, you know, in medical aspect, they say comparable oncology uh, with computer science genetics to really think about this company Verisim. Uh, because most of the diseases or drugs you, you have or you take in, uh, that come through pharma, uh, you have to do animal testing. You cannot get a drug in the market without animal testing. And unfortunately, rats are not humans, and humans are not rats. 
We all know that, but we still do all these testing and they are 92% inaccurate, which costs the drugs market to be like $2.6 billion for the price tag. Uh, and that's how pharmas are such big players forever. And what what is the biggest bottleneck is, they all know that. They are wasting their money and time and on a wrong drug or wrong candidate, but there's really no alternatives for animal testing because uh, technically speaking, healthcare biotech is still pretty backwards, version 1.0 compared to you know what Google or even Facebook can do with analytics and whatnot. To really change that, what Verisim is really trying to do is creating computer-aided software, a whole body simulations for animals and humans, which runs with an ML engine, so that you know you are not, you don't really need to test your drugs on animals, uh, which helps you remove the wrong drugs or very toxic drugs early on in the drug development stage, and create very personalized human clinical trials. So you don't need hundred people for you know, one of the trials for drug testing of proper dosage because computationally we are at a time scale where we should be able to tell quickly whether this drug has, is first going to respond on a real human or animal body and number two is the dosage right. So with our long-term mission is that all of us in the room uh, and in the world are able to use a software simulation platform and take it to the doctor and say like, hey, based on my age, ethnicity, disease profile, and I'm running my own simulation, seems like I need to reduce, let's say, Tylenol's dosage. And the doctor is able to look at it and interact, integrate it with your other health records and is able to tell you a more personalized way how much Tylenol you should take. So this is a hard pitch. I mean, I don't know how many people could get. It's a lot of tech. It's a lot of different disciplines integration. It is hard to sell. And I come from a very pure scientific background. And I was not really... So I, I gave a lot of talks at Stanford, UC, and uh, I worked at Genentech. So all that was helpful, but it was still very heavy tech and having to really communicate that to investors who, you know, have 30 seconds attention span on really getting to know who you're who you are and what your company is is difficult so i still remember that email where one really good friend of mine ben introduced me to eric and he said hey you would really like eric he's a great mentor people person and you know get in touch with him and i had no idea who eric was and i was like who and so i looked him up he's like well he doesn't have a phd i don't know what he's gonna pitch him what he's gonna know because you know he doesn't come from my background but i i, I emailed him and i said like hey you want to meet with me or i can tell you what we're doing and he was traveling for village global actually and uh I got, I got a response back and he said, hey, I don't do biotechs. And that was like, well, my company is not really like bi traditional biotech. We're not going after de developing that one drug. So I said, hey, I know this may sound weird, but why don't we just meet? Because it, it, you may be intrigued by what the idea is because it's not just a healthcare company. So he brought someone pretty solid. <laughs> and I, oh, and uh, someone... Laura Deming. Yeah, yeah uh, Laura Deming. And she interviewed me pretty hard and I was like holy crap so I got very excited I like people who are intense and ask me questions about my field and it was pretty exciting to know that there are people who understand what I'm talking about and that's how my relationship with Village Global started so Eric 
I, I guess they did black back channel and then he came back and then said describe what village global is and he said I'm really uh, I would work my ass off to get you your next round of funding and he did I I, I don't know what it was uh, because I was also considering another <coughs> program they did not care what I was pitching because they just believed their own principles and it kind of rubbed me off the wrong way. But with Eric, he said, I do not have that experience, but I will work my ass off to give you, you know, what you need. And that personalization is something, you know, what I really needed. I did not want, I did not want to go through the whole school structure because I've been in school for a really long time. But I really wanted, like, backers for Verisim, and I needed the voice for Verisim to be, you know, heard not just by me, but other investors in the town or outside. And Village has really kept that promise since day zero, actually. And not only Eric, then I got introduced to Anne, Ross, Ben, and all of them have been, like, extremely helpful. And they still are. Like, I can just text Eric or call Anne or, like, if... You know, as founders, it's a very lonely, as tankless and very lonely sometimes, you know, because you have to make lots of decisions for the company and for the team members and, you know, five years what the company is going to look like. And sometimes it's like, oh man, I do not know what can I do when I'm dealing also with the technical aspects of the company. And I feel like I can just call Village and they're there and they don't judge. They tell you exactly what they think, even if you don't want to hear that, which is... Sometimes, you know, it's, it's a hard truth that you have to hear and I had to let go someone uh, pretty important in the company and, you know, a village helped me do that and I think that was very important because that whole process was very quick and after that we didn't even, it was great that we got rid of him or, you know, but things are much better when you know someone is backing you up in a more personalized way and it's just not a school structure and you just graduated sort of thing. So the whole journey is still continuing and very, very pleased and happy that they still have kept their word. Awesome. A couple, thank you for that. A couple of follow-ups. One is, uh, we now do do biotech for anyone listening, <laughs> not just uh, you know enterprise around biotech and healthcare. Partially inspired by, by our success with, with you guys, and Verisim. Can you say more, Joe, about what the fundraising process was like for you okay. and how Village played played a part in that? Honestly, I I was like this naive person. I I I just asked them like, hey, I need help with fundraising, and everyone told me, and you read that it takes three to six months to raise even a million dollars, and. I don't know, Village's magic got me in less than two months, this uh, $1.5 million. That's kind of not right, but which was great because I, I just wanted 500K. And that whole feeling of understanding the momentum, like how Kyo, uh, Kieran was mentioning, was it changed the way Village helped me with the Black back, uh, back Channel. And also, they have a brain trust program where they found me an advisor. His name is Jared C. Hafer, and he, at 11 p.m., I still remember, we are pitch practicing because he's trying to make me more high-level and not go too technical so that, you know, people, all, everyone can follow through in the room and really help because once you know where your weak points are and you know, you're willing to take the feedback from, you know, seasoned entrepreneurs or investors, it was very easy and smooth process, and they helped me to, how to close... Uh, fundraising, like I don't know how many of you are first-time entrepreneurs, but these are like they look simple prompts, but they become the biggest pain in your ass because you know you are focused on that and not focused on building your company. So if someone is telling you things who have the experience, right kind of network, 
and you believe and you know kind of follow to what they're saying really I felt like the whole process was very smooth for me and and now we have so much more interest from the first round that already the first investors that you know were interested now they're like super interested if they want to lead our next round and it's fantastic that that relationship was you know built because of Village Global awesome Thank you so much, both of you guys, for, for joining. So with that, would like to open it up for questions, for Q&A. Anything, if you have questions, um, just kind of give your name and what you're working on so you can get a sense of that. I have a question um, for you, at least for both of you. Yeah. So my name is Abhi, and uh, I'm working on a project that is trying to build a peer-to-peer open database network for blockchain applications. Um, you say that one more time. A peer-to-peer open database network uh, for blockchain applications. Um, so my question to you was: So you, you both spoke about momentum and how it changes valuations during a round. So does that mean that you, the different investors in the same round get different deals? If so, um, what would be the value? the difference between the lowest and highest valuations? It depends. I mean, so the. Uh the the way the way to raise at a higher valuation is to have a term sheet at a lower valuation. Um, so when you have your first, so the way I always think about fundraising is that for me, and this is just me, there's always a plan C, which is you know the bare minimum that we need to do what we've planned to do for the next eighteen months to twenty four months. Then there's a plan B and a plan A, and each of those has to work. Like we have to have term sheets in every one of those plans. So the, in terms of momentum, you know, I very rarely say yes to the first deal. Really, you know, you build up to a better valuation. You build up with a few wins to more confidence, and you build up to the valuation that you really want. So the three, um, the way you would sort of think about this conceptually is you know you, you might open up a million dollar note for example which you know yeah which could be capped or uncapped at a certain valuation and when you see it fill up really quick maybe you bring the note holders a few of them that are less valuation you know the other valuation agnostic you bring them up to a term sheet and then work your way up from there so it just depends on on how how you want to sort of proceed and you know if you've got a note open already if you've raised some capital already how you've used it matters so for really engineering driven teams from google and stuff you know you can do a lot with three or four engineers right so if you really work back from there a plan c for a ex google team really with a founder and two three engineers you're looking at Let's say two hundred thousand is needed for six months. That's a hundred thousand per person salary, right? But for four people, instead of four hundred, you're trying to raise two hundred for six months, and you can build a lot in six months with four engineers, right? So the way to think about it then is two hundred k starts the gravity is building now, right? You're building momentum for you and your team going into a bigger fundraise. So if you're starting from zero, for example, a specific example here in this case would be you have to get to 200. Otherwise, you can't build what you need to build at the velocity that you need to build it. So, you know, thinking about it that way. So you have a win with 200. 200 
is should be in a slam dunk, right? So once you have that secured, then you have more confidence to go into a five hundred thousand dollar fundraise. So you can you can bring people in, you know, the people that you really like working with initially, open up a note for them, things like that. But carry the momentum forward is sort of how to think about it. And another answer to a question you didn't necessarily ask, but sometimes people ask us is, hey, I've already raised 250K or 500K from Angels as Network Catalyst, still appropriate. And I've raised it at a five cap or whatever it is. And, and we say, we say a couple things. One is if you're, if you haven't taken the money yet, you reconsider if, if they're the best, you know, the best partners you want to have at the table, because with Village, we hope we can really optimize and getting you the best partners that you could potentially get. Two is, yes, it's very common in other accelerators sort of set the, Set the standard. You know, YC, for example, people raise a million or two million from Excel or other great firms, and then realize, hey, I'd also benefit from the YC network. And those investors are typically pretty pretty supportive if they if they believe in the value. And and for us too, some companies, uh, I believe we were the first investor in these companies, but some companies have raised five hundred k or a million and then decided to go through the network catalyst. And we make sure that we're collaborative with with the other investors, and we're all trying to make the the pie bigger. Um, hi, I'm Laura. I'm building the Brightly Company. We are a marketplace for ethical and sustainable goods. So we're trying to connect people to products that are changing the world. Question around what you look for specifically in companies that contact you. Um, I know that a variety of accelerator programs have different signals that they pick up on. So I was curious um, really what Village looks for. Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, right now we've only done 10 companies in our, in our network catalyst. Four are in in health and bio. And a year ago, we said we didn't do any health and bio. <laughs> so I think there's a few things. One is, you know, we have this on deck community, which is sort of a cool way to see entrepreneurs work over time. You know, I was tracking Joe for a bit through Ben, through a few others. Ben uh, came in, so we met through the on deck community. Ross had known Kieran for a long time. Very interested, especially early stage with how founders test their ideas, how they think about bringing on co-founders, so that's all to say that it's not a like super quick like you know process like we're looking for X Y Z checklist and then you're good. We like to see founders really over time and see how they how they brainstorm their idea, how they test product market fit, uh, how they bring on new new team members. And you really get a sense for how people operate because day one sometimes people are all talk or sometimes the opposite they don't sell themselves super well but they're amazing executors. The other thing we we look for is founder market fit. Like are you you know we sort of joke internally like. If Ryan Chesky was running a food delivery startup, it's not automatically self-evident that it would be, you know, as big as Airbnb. Or if, if, you know, Travis from Uber was running Medium or Ed Williams was running Uber, like, it might not be the, the best, the best fits. So really, like, you know, Joe, for example, is a veterinarian and then also has, you know, computer science and genomics background sort of making her uniquely situated to, to build, build that company. We look for, for founder market fit. And the other thing we look for is in sector agnostic, like again, we have four healthcare companies, we have a couple of real estate companies now, we have an esports company, we have a company that's doing Twitch for makeup. Company, we look for a couple things. One is can this, you know, we're a hundred million dollar fund, we're looking for outliers. Can this business be enormous? And two is do they have some insight or some secret or something that they've figured out, whether it's a go to market or product innovation or something of a strategy that is defensible and differentiates them from other people who are trying to do the same thing. So that's sort of a high level of what we're looking for. But yeah. uh, to, to add to that, I think my initial experience was, I mean, I knew Ross for a, for a long time because we'd worked together with my last company. He was with Kippur Capital, uh, Mitch Kippur and Frida's fund. So I'd work, gotten a chance to work with Ross. 
But by the time we'd sort of entered the ticketing portion of that startup's life, we we already kind of there was no escaping that business. You know, there were already a bunch of a bunch of us working on the product, and we had moved away from this band of the day product, which had like a lot of millions and millions of users, and pivoted into ticketing. And when we pivoted into ticketing, you know, we we saw tra- initial traction. But the margins were so thin, right? And then the thin margins, they subsisted. They don't change themselves. So four years later, you're, you're working on this thing, which uh, could, could have been a decent business. But since the margins were so thin, it just felt like the rat, you were in the rat race. You were the rat in the <laughs> mill. You were just going and going and going and the margins were so thin, you know? So this time, when, when I first started interacting with Ross, I had a core kind of loosey-goosey idea and some stuff that was working in an app and it was around open houses. That's it, right? And we knew we could kind of could do it for sales. We could use the same platform. We could go, go that way or we could do rentals. Uh, we explored commercial and the exploration was hours and hours of just conversations and then talks with, and this is religion not funded us yet because we clearly didn't know what we were doing, you know, back then. And then, um, so with that initial process, that was very real with Ross. And then after that, they invested. And I remember I was here in this room, multiple pitch practice sessions where I'm kidding you not, but every week I had a completely new pitch for the company. <laughs> like it was completely different because the same core idea could be applied in different ways, you know? So if you're in that place, it helps. The, because you don't want to go and burn these chances out in the, on the streets here. You know, so you, you want to, you want to wait until you have something that clearly captures, you know, a moment in time, then you raise. So for that, this kind of format is helpful. I'm sure YC does the same thing and it's all about this basic core ethos. But here, because we were just five of us around this table, and Eric, and then we would, we'd do all sorts of pitch practice sessions, you know, recorded conversations. We had some video stuff happening. We've had, um, various question and answer things where the other founders would poke holes at you. It was all the founders telling the other founders how their pitch wasn't very good. That, uh, I got that a lot. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> and then, but all five of them ended up raising, you know, 1.5 to $7 million. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was all great. Thanks for your question. Yeah, hi, I'm Vijay. Uh, I actually work with Morley on a company called Hashcut. So we're building AI to automate gaming highlights. Um, and so I guess my question to you, Eric, is do you, uh, is it, is Village only an accelerator or do you guys also invest, you know, at the pre-seed seed stage outside of the accelerator? Yes. So we sort of have a couple things. One is we sort of think about it in the sense of, in sense of stage. So we do have a focus on our network catalyst companies in terms of where our GP attention goes, in terms of priority LP access. But we do, you know, we have this decentralized group of, of investors and sometimes they will invest outside the program. But that is typically driven for sort of like last check-in if Sequoia's, you know, leading, you know, Big Seed or A or, or Andreessen or, or something and we see an opportunity. We do some of that outside of but in terms of where GP focus tends to be, and firm focus tends to be on the on the network catalyst program. 
And it's it's uh, what are the details of the program? You invest one hundred and twenty thousand. It's it's one hundred twenty k for seven percent. Seven percent, and it's over the course of three months, six months. Yeah, there's sort of a we say we say ninety days, but really there's no stop because we're seventy five percent of our funders for follow on, and we're we're trying to make every company successful. And right now, every company has been successful. And you know, because we're we're a startup ourselves, we're going to go to RLPs and say. Hey, this program that's only had a few companies, we want to say 100% of them have raised the next round or have been, you know, here's where, where they are. So because we're a startup, just like you're a startup, we're really trying to, to, you know, prove that it works. Thanks. For sure. Um, Keith, working on a uh, early stage project doing uh, drone infrastructure to support commercial drone operations. And um, question is maybe for Keo. You had mentioned um, that you would strategically start your term sheet with a lower valuation. Um, could you tell us more about like the discovery process that you go through to kind of ultimately lock down on on the term sheet? So the the there are two three aspects to this, right? One is sort sort of the amount you need. Right? How how much money are you trying to really raise? So typically in the valley, just given my experience, like I've seen seed rounds. You know, regardless of how much money you're trying to raise, there's a 22 to 25 percent dilution of the seed round. That's just that's going to happen. Then there's the the A is you know between 25 and 30 percent. Dilution at the A. So just given that math, that this is these are generalizations, but across the board they they, they ring true. So if that's the case, then if regardless of how much money you're raising and the dilution is the same, then you know you you, you need to uh, pitch as many people as you can to get one yes. That's what people do typically. So in um, you know it just depends on how big your team is and what you really want to spend the money on. In the seed round, typically, if you start spending money on acquisition, customer acquisition, that would be huge red flags, right? So in your pitch, customer acquisition dollars spent, if you raise two million and you spend a million on customer acquisition, that's a huge red flag for me personally, at least. I don't tend to pitch that. Then the question becomes, what do you need the money for? And if it's for engineering, then that's very good, right? That means you can A, attract good talent, you can get people, engineers to come and join your company. It's a great thing, right? It just depends on how many people you are going to pitch to get there and how you're going to get there. You know, notes are one way to get there. Preferred equity financing is another way to get there. I don't know if it answers your question, but I'm trying. It's, there's not, there isn't a fixed formula, unfortunately. It's as much like an art as it is like a science. In that process, um, do you or Joe or Eric, do you think about it? Like, do you, you come up with something you think, you know, makes sense for you, take it to a few folks, and they're like, no, no, that, that's ludicrous, and then you kind of go back and readjust, or how, how do you kind of get to that, that term sheet? Kind of- Typically, early signal four-person and four person teams with strong engineering talent, you know, you can possibly, you're in the realm of three to four mil cap kind of, you know, a raise. So you can do a half a million to a million dollar raise on those terms. But if you have something that works, something that's actually out there that people are using, then there's a multiple on that. 
potentially. The caveat emptor being that you you actually have a technical team that's delivering some value in a in a cadence that match, matches makes sense, right? That makes it competitive. It could take you ten years to build something, but that that really that VCs are not interested in ten year build outs, right? So how fast you how fast you build stuff, what the cadence is, all of that is the momentum that you need. So just thinking about it in terms of like how much money do you actually need, right, is an interesting exercise. Right. I resonate with uh, Q. We did it a bit differently. We did safes, uh, and I put the valuation uh, because I was going for a lower amount than what we raised, and it became fascinating that my terms were pretty much founder friendly for what I uh, wanted to raise and uh, one that really actually I should have mentioned Village really helped with that because I was thinking for a more expensive term sheet from one of the investors and then the saves was something they all came around and it was a fantastic institutional round and a lot bunch of angels which is where I, I really recommend like always thinking about why do you need money and what you're really trying to build with that money and trying to put what would you be what would be your trade-off like what would you want from those investors that you're talking to uh, like if they're not really going to help you with the let's say one year six months goal I would like recommend going after taking slightly more time and going after the ones that would help because especially the seed or now they call pre-seed which is what I call it then at that level, they, you want to know if, are these gonna are these people gonna back me up? You know, because you will need that kind of support for the next rounds, and and then it's even easier because once you see that backing up, those investors help you get to your aid and build that relationship. And I think Village being a front runner has been very helpful and been very founder friendly round. Um, so lay. Um with Uber. Uh, I think a lot of us here, right, we all have, like, just by the virtue of being here in the Valley and having gone through Genentech on your, your previous startup, and Eric, obviously, with all your experiences, and here with Google, you know, all of us has our own personal network, so how do you see the Village network being different from your personal network, um, and, like, how has that been helpful? I'll start. I think it's a few things. And, you know, a lot of VCs will say that, hey, we're all about networks too. And to some extent they are. VCs have, have big networks. They network all day. <laughs> That's what they do. But they sort of only leverage their own networks or the networks of, you know, the five partners. We've really tried to create an institution that leverages the, the networks of other people's networks, if that makes sense. So for example, our LPs represent, you know, the biggest acquirers, customers, companies in the world. And so you might, if you're trying to get to someone at Google, perhaps you got it all figured out. But we can help with someone at Facebook and someone at Microsoft and someone at Amazon, someone at Bloomberg and someone at all, all these different companies get sort of the right, right person at the right time. And the other thing I should have said this in the initial is we, um, we sort of do things on a customized basis that another seller at scale couldn't really do. So one of our companies is selling to heads of growth. And so we're putting together an event inviting, you know, hundred heads of growth that could potentially be their customers. We have done because we got Joe 
a few biotech events, and one of them led to someone who's now an advisor, someone you know, very happy Genentech, who's now an advisor to, to your company. So we really leverage our network to find the right sort of domain experts for individual companies, but also potential customers. Obviously, you know, we know all the investors, so we run, you know, we have sort of sophisticated software that is tagging investors, filtering by, by stage, by domain. And then we have our on-deck network for for engineers and people who are looking to start their next thing or, or join their next thing, which people can hire or find their co-founder through. So uh, I would say we help networks both on the on hiring customers, investors, and then advisors or other key introductions at, at big companies. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that, but that's a high level. I agree with Eric. I think for my company, it was... I have to go beyond what is being done in healthcare or genetics. So I needed engineers. I need ML scientists. And believe it or not, very few people really go through the painstaking health or life sciences or biology learnings to become and then go for an ML engineering aspect. So it, it becomes very crucial to find the right type of people and having a network of people that I can just ask Eric to introduce to or, you know, go to different events that maybe, you know, we may find those people has been very helpful. And we all leverage each other's network. Like, it's all bigger than any one person's. Right. Than my network or Ben's network or Reed's network or whoever, whoever's network. We're all leveraging uh, each other's networks to find, find the right people. Yeah. For me, if I could add one thing, you know, the fundraise process, regardless of who you knew and what you did in the past, like, Every fundraise process is new, right? It's a new, it's like a rebirth as an entrepreneur. Like the whole journey is brand new, you know? And what helped me personally is like Eric's got a huge network that, you know, he's spent a lot of years cultivating. You know, you get to piggyback off of that for, you know, certain meetings, certain aspects where people are willing to take a 45 minute to an hour long intense discussion on your product on your company because they know Eric and they trust him right so um, obviously when you start a company your own networks they, you've got to hit them up a lot right that obviously is happening so if you're if you're doing if you you're cultivating and farming your own network obviously for your own company who else is going to do that Eric can't do that for you so you have to do it for yourself but now suddenly there's Eric and Ben Ross, you know, who are, who are helping and opening up their networks to you at a particular moment in time. See, this is a time is very important here because you, you can't expect people to help you for six months to nine months doing a fundraise, right? That gets tedious and time consuming. So time is important. So the more people that are on your side with really meaningful networks in a short period of time, that's where the, the network effect compounds itself. If you continue to do this for years on end, then regardless of how many people you have behind you, the effects are not as you know profound. Does that make sense? So the network catalyst really, it is exactly what it says it is, a network catalyst program. And that's the way to think about it. it time is a crucial element here, right? Because A, if you don't have... The money before you run out of steam, then you you don't have a company. If you don't raise enough capital, you can't you know can't go on indefinitely. At least I couldn't. You know, just working in my garage and sort of not you know having a real company. Uh, you can't hire the right talent because you don't have capital and no one's interested in you know wild goose goose chases anymore. So time and you know and then the startup 
factors they all all matter so the the network component was super interesting to me and network was super profound because she came from a very operationally heavy background so when she made an introduction to other people that were in operations it meant something when ross made an introduction to to people in the venture capital world where he spent a lot of time and then before that with success factors and that acquired his last company that made a lot of sense so a lot of times even though they people didn't invest we learned something from that interaction and i think that's that's the that is the important bit you know for me totally and the one thing i'd add is also founder and peer to peer support uh, and that you you know every company that's joined our network catalyst company has has talked to Kieran and Joe about what the experience was like and you know we've all been founders and it's really that you know founder community of you call at any time for references back channel support advice and all going through you know similar process at the same time or similar stage great question any other questions uh hi i'm Ankit this is one of the other organizers as well so uh i'm just more curious about like what exactly is uh part of your 90 day program and like are there like any specific goals which you as well as global tend to achieve within that 90 days yeah so it's um we say 90 days is sort of a, a framework but some companies raise you know 9 months after some companies raise 6 months after um we really sit, it's 100% personalized and customizable so we really sit down with each and every every company and say hey you know for us to raise a really strong seed round what do we what do we need to achieve and for you know some they're heads down focused on product market fit for some they you know they're trying to like or tweaking the product others are sell 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 and so you know we do have group group office hours similar to some others where we sit in this room and have dinner and you know practice our pitch or talk about things we're we're working with we have individual office hours with our with our gps and some of these other network leaders key key advisors and then we can do you know, individualized one off event you know we have e-sports companies so we almost did like a mini demo day for them where we brought you know 45 of the biggest e-sports investors one dinner here you know what this company the meta is working on they raised a couple hundred thousand dollars just that night and that was day 0 others you're trying to get customers so we throw a customer event for them but really you know advisors we throw a advisor event really whatever the company needs beyond sort of initial the scaffolding of group office hours individual office hours were were on call to give I just want to add. So basically, it's like let's say you're starting a company, like Eric or Han would ask you, "What is your 90 day program? What do you want for your next 90 days? And how can we help you get there?" Which is what they did for me, and that's very crucial because my 90 day program is very different than Kyo's 90 day program. I'm assuming yeah. you raised different round too, so it's very important to hear that that this is my 90 days, what I want. See, I went into it with very uh, two specific things. One was I really wanted to understand and hash out the strategy for the company, right? High level, is it a healthy software business before we get into the work and it becomes, you know, a lot of work? Are we working for the right things? Is it is it is it going to create enough value where it can sustain a software team? You know. Um, that is one thing and so i i had definite expectations around that so a lot of conversations around a lot of time was spent on that and then the second thing the was just the process of the fundraise so if you think about the process of the fundraise the kinds of things that you might want 
to do, right? You have to get the assets of the pitch ready, the actual physical assets of the deck and how it looks and whether it makes sense and the flow that the conversation that it, that it creates, the conversation that the deck creates, right? Um, so that requires tremendous amount of cycles. Typically, you're working on it alone or with a co-founder. Here, you you you've got you know a network of people that have done it before, as well as uh, are able to guide you for your specific business on making it more impactful, right? Whatever 45 minutes pitch that you're presenting, and then after that, so this in that process is this physical, as mundane as it sounds, getting conversations set up in tandem. So you're trying to set up a, a pro, you're running a process to raise a round, which means you're, you're, you're actually going to go and meet with 25, 30 people. So setting up meetings with 25, 30 people in Silicon Valley in a short period of time is also hard because everyone's doing hundreds of other things, you know. So uh, all of these uh, elements and then post-pitch, the feedback and then improvement again and then this this loop that you need to get into to improve and then finally raise around is all kind of in that 90-day period. So even from um, choosing the right people. So a lot of times, you know, I had a network. I would add people in there because I'd had a good time meeting with somebody before. That's like as it's, it's almost like the amoeboid way of raising money. I had a good time with the person at one point. That's silly, right? Or the person listened to me. Here it's about, uh, you know, th- that that specific partner has already invested this year. So in a firm that has four or five partners, you know, they're looking to do one deal a year. If the person has already invested, you probably would not know about it. If you do, and 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 they're still, you know, participating in the entire pitch, the chances are very low that that partner is going to sign you another check that year. So these kinds of things at scale at 30, 40, you know, meetings, some people are going to drop off. Other people are going to lack interest in the middle. Some people would have invested in a competitor. Others are distracted. All of it is work. Somebody's going to do that work. If you, if you work with this team and assign specific tasks, so we actually had a spreadsheet of all the biggest names in the valley in the, and everyone was shared in, in that spreadsheet and the specific tasks of reaching out, warm leads, intros, you know, the entire process was run from there. And I didn't do that myself. I did that with Eric and took five or six people. Ross took 10, 15 people, you know, and then we just went through the entire list and constantly did that for three months. And the other thing I'll add is that recently we started to build out a little bit of a platform team. We just brought on Colin, who's uh, leading our content and helping our entrepreneurs tell their tell their story. And he was previously with uh, working with Gary Vaynerchuk, so he knows how to how to get things spread and, and tell great stories. And Sheila's been working with us for a while now, and we we're going to do what seventy events this year, hundred seventy plus the thirty we've already done seventy in the next six months. So there's a lot of a lot of things to go both you know helping people hire customers, helping with advisors, helping with our, meeting our luminaries. There's a lot of activity at Village to to plug into, but also you know, it's customized where you say, hey, I just need to get this product right. So you're going to focus on that until until it's time to leverage the network. We do have time for one more question. Chris from Zuler as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's multi-prong. It's about your, the startups that you have in the program and the ones you want to bring in. Can you talk about who they are? Because that's these really lovely companies. But also, do you take companies outside of the valley and you bring them in for 90 days and then that particular can go back to wherever they are? 
And the last one is, is how do you deal with conflicts, right? If they're very early. Yeah. It's a great question. It's great. Three questions. <laughs> I, quit, I appreciate it. It's good to call, it's a good strategy to call three questions a multi-pronged question. <laughs> I like, I like that one. Um, so a few things. One is, I'm glad you did it because we didn't mention it. So Village Global. We're looking to invest all over the world, ho- hopefully invest in a bunch of Zoogler companies. The first, so it's a virtual program, and we've just set up our first, I think we now have three or four of the 10 companies outside of San Francisco, one Canadian company, and we're looking to do outside of SF and also outside, outside the US. So in terms of, yeah, so it's virtual. You don't have to move here. It's great to come here for fundraising, but we think you should build your business wherever it makes most sense. Sometimes you should move here, sometimes you should move Somewhere else, New York, LA, where, wherever you, your business needs to be, well, you know, will we'll helpful. And and we, and we travel a lot, and we, we have resources in different places. The other question was different other examples of different companies. One is this company called RDMD, which is also a, a biotech company. It's actually a pretty inspiring story. The CEO's name is Ono. It's Ono and Nancy, the co-founders. And Ono built this company called Tap Talk, which was a social video. Pro- almost think of like group Snapchat. Before Snapchat became that, it was, was at the top of the app store. It was pretty big in 2014. They actually worked out of the product and office. So we've been friends for a long time and it sort of went big and then has these consumer things go. It sort of didn't go big anymore, uh, retain. And then crazily enough, he developed a form of cancer, a, a rare disease. And he realized there's not much, you know, products and services for people with, with rare diseases. And so he then created, he did one, did a lot of research on himself and then created a hackathon for people to build products and services for people with rare diseases. He, that's where he met Nancy and they're building basically flat iron for rare diseases, a company that helps aggregate data for people that have rare diseases and then helps build products, services and communities. And because he's, he has real empathy with you, he is the user. He sort of has unique insight and, you know, talk about founder market fit and that company in a very competitive round, just raised, I believe, three million from Lux, which is an awesome firm. We're super excited. I think at like a 13 valuation. That, that's one company. Another company is Brightside. Brightside is a company that is building products and services for people who struggle with depression and mental health and um, is trying to, you know, there's a lot of people who are, who are struggling, but don't want to go or have the resources to or don't feel comfortable going to, going to seek help. So it brings help to them both in terms of consultation, in terms of antidepressants, in terms of whatever they need. And I invested in a company called Nurex previously, which is sort of birth control on demand, and it's doing really well. And it's this company, Hims, that is also an on-demand product. That sort of space is is heating up, and, and Brightside just raised a, a great round from Dave Morin at Slow, who's uh, obviously really passionate about and a big thought leader in the space. We have an esports company called The Meta. We have a CPG company called Sathi. We have a company called Glamcam that's Twitch for makeup. We have a travel company, it's Trip Scout. Another, you know, a B2B marketplace around for property managers called Paragon that we just invested in. Yeah, we're, we're thinking about a company, a couple others as well, but, uh, those, those are just some highlights. Conflicts. Oh, conflicts. I ignored the, the question. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think the, so right now we're small enough that, you know, if we've seen a company that's directly competing, we've just said, Hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna invest. I think what is hard is that sometimes people pivot and you'll, so yeah, we're not going to invest in a competitive company or this, you know, we're not right now because we, we all work together. We, you know, we want to be super family friendly at the same time. Sometimes companies pivot. And so 
it's just something, you know, people have to realize it. And it, we haven't had that yet, but if that happens, you know, everyone's just got to trust that there's a, you know, church, uh, what's it called? Different church and state, you know, and that, you know, they won't be sharing confidential information with each other.